All right, so, so we're just talking about how to make some unfinished business of crop circles. We're going to make some, we're going to make an element crop circle. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Sorry, we'll lay in the field as they come, as they come for us. It'll be great. So I was talking to Ryan Edwards this morning. As a, he says I'm going to make fun of him. I was talking before the 815 service, and he says to me, he goes, he goes, you know, he goes, I really think element could grow. He goes, but you offend everybody. <laughs> he goes, he goes, last week, he goes, like, four things, right? No, what row? Pants too tight. Stop wearing clothes. I, I, I didn't say the word, but he thought I said it. But anyway, so he, he's like, you should tone it down. And I'm like, I don't know how. I am going to do my best, okay, to not offend everybody anymore. <laughs> I got to thank you. <laughs> thank you. So yeah, just tell me what offends you, and then I will never say that again. Anyway, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. If you are new, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. You have a smartphone. You download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on Live, and Uversion will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes and the verses and everything that goes along with this. Bye, Ryan. <laughs> It wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. I, I need to learn how to tone it down. So anyway, uh, if you took baby bottles a couple weeks ago, uh, you need to bring those back so we can turn them into Care Net. Uh, if, you, if you can't remember to bring those back, just take it, sit on your counter, and put your key ring right over the nipple on the top of that bottle. Bam, and there it is. And yes, I said over the nipple, but we're just going to keep going on. And just put it on top of there so you won't forget them. And you'll bring it back, and then they'll get those back. So start bringing those back. Are you smarter than an e-kid? Uh, this is the Bible verse memorization thing that we're having you guys go up against the little kids, and apparently they're going to kick your butt because you guys are terrible. Stop. Don't just don't say, oh, I'm just letting the kids win. They've got to have better self-esteem. Don't let the kids win. Kick. Beat, beat them. Just not. That's ter- you took that sound bite. That would sound terrible, wouldn't it? Just beat them. No. Memorize verses, go up against them. They need to learn how to memorize verses better. Anyway, and the last thing I have before we start is there's a ministry in town that helps out uh, people who are in recovery and they have a home. And what they need is they need some bunk beds. They need three sets of bunk beds. So if you have any bunk beds like laying in your garage that you are getting rid of, like, oh, I wish someone come and haul that off, they will come and get them from you. So they need three sets of bunk beds. Uh, if you would let me know uh, after the service is over, I will get them your information. They will get a hold of you and come by and pick them up. Three sets of bunk beds. Right? Okay. Stand with me reading God's Word. And we'll get going here. This is John chapter 16, verse 33. And Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as your people would be those who understand that you have overcome all things. And when things come into our lives, they have been sifted through your hands. And we can trust you to be the God that you promised that you are. And that we can live lives in full faith and confidence in that. That... Your li- that our lives can be made full of joy because we give you glory in all things. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is Genesis week 54, and we are essentially wrapping up Jacob's storyline. And as soon as we do that, uh, aside from next week, it will then transition to the life of his sons. You'll probably feel this morning like this is deja vu, like you heard it all before, like there's some kind of glitch in my own personal matrix. I know, okay, but just go with me. We're going to be... Fine. This is all stuff we need to remember and take with us as we move on to the rest of Genesis. Now, Jacob, 
He has been through a lot of things in his life, and he is the heir of the promises of God. He inherits the blessing that was given to the rest of his family. And when we think blessed by God today, we typically think of money, power, prestige, everything always goes right. But really, many times when we follow God, things seem just to get a little bit worse. I think part of that is God wants humble people. Uh, I once heard someone say God's plan A for us is humility, and when that doesn't work, his plan B is humiliation. Maybe that feels like your life. I don't know. But all glory is God's, and any time we live in pride and not humbleness, we are picking a fight with him. And so God allows some very difficult things in our lives at times, and those are to grow us to his purposes. And many times it seems like this comes more into play after we start to follow Jesus and surrender ourselves to him than before. Marriages seem harder because you're always supposed to be a servant of the other person and God is always trying to teach you how to be a better servant and so serving seems harder because you have to serve in everything that you're doing our jobs seem harder our relationships seem harder and when you look through Genesis why that happens is because God loves us God longs to make us into the people he intends for us to be so open to Genesis 35 if you had a Bible that's page 19 of an element Bible and we're going to finish Jacob's story and then talk about all of the things that go on in his life so Genesis 35 starting in verse 16 starts like this then they journeyed from Bethel which is where Jacob was worshiping God before and they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath Rachel went in to labor and she had hard labor now Rachel is Jacob's loved wife Earlier in this chapter, Jacob has committed his, his life to God. He has been renamed a second time Israel. He covenants to follow God with his family and everything that he does. And here God actually blesses him with another child. Uh, Rachel, who has been barren most of her life, had a very hard time getting pregnant the first time with Joseph, now actually gets a second son. This is a miracle. This is a joy. At one point before she ever gets pregnant, she says to Jacob, you know, give me children or I'll die. It almost seems kind of prophetic because that that's what happens here. It's like, you know, a few months ago when I talked about Dick Clark and like three days later he died. Or last week when I made fun of the 49ers and they lost. Ha, ha, ha. All right. Now, I hear having a baby is painful. I was visiting someone in the hospital this week. They were induced and it still took like 30 hours to give birth to this baby. I mean, that is like war stories. I actually see women just sitting around trading stories all day long. I was in 40 hours and it came out. It just crazy crazy stuff now imagine you got rachel here and this could actually be in the middle of the woods where this is taking place and the and the word for hard labor this is the word severe later in genesis the same word will be used of famines and what they cause in people's lives that it is the famine is so hard that people are to the place where they're next to death that is how hard her labor is it says when her labor was at its hardest her most severe the midwife said to her do not fear for you have another son this is now the 12th son. There will be 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And says, as her soul was departing, before she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni. This could mean son of trouble or son of my sorrow. She's dying. She's like, oh, I'm just going to name my kid Depression. <laughs> Terrible thing to do to name, name a kid. Imagine, hey, how's it going? Not so good. You know, it, it's... Just name him Eeyore. That, that, that would be what it's like. But his father called him Benjamin or Benjamin. Jacob steps in. He says, you know what? No, I'm going to lead my family right. We're not going to do this to another kid. And he changes his name from son of my sorrow to son of my right hand or son of power, fame, or glory. Jacob wants this son to be a strong boy and a strong man. He wants to lead this one different than he has all the others. And we are also taught in the New Testament that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the strong, the sure hand. This is like in boxing, right? You got to, you got to watch out for the right. It's like Muhammad Ali and the rope-a-dope. Whoop, whoop. 
Bam! No? Whatever. Verse 19. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And this is sad, but I also think it's kind of neat. One of the mothers of the nation of Israel dies and is buried in Bethlehem. And then Jesus eventually is born there where Rachel dies. I think it's really amazing. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. Is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. This, again, is like a headstone. It's a monument. He's thanking God for all the time he got to spend with her. For me, I understand this. I mean, I really do want to squeeze out as much time as I can with my wife because I think she's so wonderful. Uh, Life is short, and Jacob loses the woman he loves. And I understand what happens next. Verse 21, Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. What that means is he moved again after he dies. If anything ever happened to Marianne, my wife, I think that I would have to move. I I couldn't live in the same house. Because all the memories we share there, everything that goes on there, I think I'd have to actually move somewhere else to begin to heal. My sorrow would be too great. And this is what Jacob does. He gets up and he moves. Now, if you look at what happened last week in Jacob's life, he commits his entire life to God. I'm going to follow you. Starts to lead his family correctly. And then what happens? His wife dies. Now, in our culture today, what would people do when that happened? They would say, well, I tried God and God didn't work. That's what they would say. Because we assume that God is a means to our own end. God's supposed to give us whatever we want. No, God is there to grow us into his purposes. It's about his glory and his good. And in that, he does bring his people joy, but it's about him. You look at Jacob, devotes his life to God, his wife dies. Can anything else happen to this poor guy? Well, yes, verse 22. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now, that's sad and a bit Weird. His wife dies, and his oldest son says, I think I'll go sleep with my stepmom. That's weird. Okay? It's like the whole trailer park is in an uproar. <laughs> just, just really, really crazy. You know, that's, that's weird, right? Yeah, okay, good. All right. Now, I'm going to break this down for you, what I think is happening. You know, I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is what's going on. Uh, the last time you meet Reuben, uh, he, you see him as a, as a crazy superstitious knucklehead. He takes mandrakes, which they think is like a Viagra 1.0. He gives them to his mom. Hey, now Jacob will sleep with you again. Get you more kids. And, and so he brings those in, and so that's, he starts doing that. that that's Reuben. Okay, Reuben is the offspring of the union of, of Jacob and Leah, the unloved wife. Now, what I think happens now is after uh, Rachel dies, you have Bilhah, who is her servant. That would actually raise Bilhah to a higher status because Jacob has children through Bilhah, so that make her more like a wife, so she's kind of raised up. You have Leah, who has a servant named Zilpah. Zilpah is still underneath her because, hope you're following this, because Leah is still alive. So what happens now is Reuben is probably thinking, well, what if my dad likes Bilhah? more than Leah, because he's never like Leah to begin with. So he does this. It goes in and violates her for two reasons. Number one, so Leah, his mom, now becomes the number one woman. She no longer has any competition. And secondly, I think uh, Reuben is trying to become the firstborn. He's trying to upsurp Jacob's power by sleeping with Bilhah. When a foreign king would come into foreign lands and they would take over, what they would do would take all the old king's concubines and they would take them as a show of power and authority. So Reuben is probably thinking what he's doing is making himself and his mom in charge of this extremely powerful and extremely wealthy family. Reuben is a deceiver. He's a con man. He's trying to take someone else's place that wasn't given to him. And who does that sound like? Jacob sounds just like his dad. 
And so now what happens is Moses is trying to move this story to a place of who we're going to focus on for the rest of the chapter. You have Simeon and Levi. They go in and murder a whole town a couple of weeks ago that we looked at. And so they have disqualified themselves. Reuben, the firstborn, is now disqualified from the firstborn blessing. You'll see all this in Genesis 49 when we get there. And that leaves a vacuum. And so the question becomes, who will the firstborn be? That's the question. And so the rest of Genesis starts to focus on two kids. Starts to focus on Joseph and Judah to try and help you to see which one is going to get the firstborn blessing. Now, I told you back in Genesis 25, it's 10 chapters and yes, three and a half months ago, it's a long time ago, what the right of a firstborn entailed. It means carry on, carrying on your family name, survival of your family honor, all of their nobility rests in you. Who makes decisions about how your family will be perceived by the known world? The firstborn, the one with the birthright. So the birthright, first, firstly, is something your entire family stands for. If the person carrying the birthright does something stupid or shameful, it affects the entire family tree. That is uncles, cousins, parents, siblings, grandmothers, grandfathers. Secondly, the birthright entitled that person to a double portion of their father's inheritance. So at this point, Jacob probably has a lot of Isaac's stuff. Isaac got all of Abraham's stuff. So whatever that is, it's going to be huge. And the third thing, it was spiritual. You carry on your family's connection with God. You become your family's priest. You lead and show them who God is and what proper worship is. Birthright is your destiny. And so for the rest of the book, in the next chapter, it transitions to Judah, son of Leah, Joseph, son of Rachel. And you see why Genesis goes the way it does, because Moses wants to point out to you why certain people are not going to be talked about in the text anymore. And you may be thinking, well, what happened to Nephtali? Oh, Nephtali was just my favorite ever. Oh, Gad, I really like Gad. What happened to Gad? doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You're going to look at Joseph and Judah. That's who you're looking at. So verse 23 it reiterates the 12, the, the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, the sons of Jacob were 12. And again, I told you when we started looking at Jacob, if I were to tell you that this is the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel, you would think anything but what this family has looked like so far because they look terrible. When we think of the patriarchs, we think cartoon superheroes. Oh, that we gloss over all the bad things in their life and we just take out all the good things. Oh, look how wonderful they are. You know, oh, Abraham, he is like Superman. And then Isaac, he's like uh, Spider-Man. And Jacob, he's like Batman. I know those are two different DC and Marvel universes. If you're a geek, I totally just blew your mind. But whatever. They're like the Avengers, okay? They're the Avengers. And you go through Genesis and you realize they're not little Jesuses. They're just like all of us. They're messed up kids from messed up families with jealousy and infighting of bad parents. I mean, you look at the 12 tribes of Israel and you would say, oh, look at that. Those are a bunch of perverts. And look at those. Those are a bunch of murderers. And those over there have absentee dads. And those are from mixed marriages. It's just like us that God takes very normal people in very normal circumstances and does extraordinary things. It says, so now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah. There's the fourth one in line. Issachar and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Ephtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aran. Now, here's the point. This family, you'll see, has been corrupted in every way. And Jacob starts to follow God now, but it's taken so long. All these chickens in his life are coming home to roost, so to speak, which you and I, this also makes sense to us because just because you commit your life to Jesus does not mean your past simply goes away. It's still there, and you still got to work through it. They bury Abraham. They will be marrying Isaac. Jacob is old. The question becomes, what are they going to do at that point? How will they live? How will the nations of the earth be blessed? How's it all going to work out? 
It's like very overwhelming. Like, ah, what's going to happen in all this? This is why we do not worship men. We worship God. He is the one who works it all out. Because those same questions are the same questions for us as well. What are we going to do? How does our faith continue? That rests in the hands of God. But what the beautiful thing that God has done is he has given us his spirit and he's called us to be his ambassadors to the world. So what God does is uses you and I to proclaim his name and make his name great. And we're to go to the entire world as God's blessing to the world. Practically, what that means for you and I is that you and I need to get over it. Whatever it is for you, you can pick that thing in your life that is it. That's what you need to get over. It is time for us to stop living fruitless lives. There are tragedies in our lives, yes. There is garbage we have done to ourselves and other people, but there is always hope in God. Abuse, neglect, broken homes. That is this family that God uses to change the world. This family. Our culture will tell you, you are a victim. You will always be a victim. You know, and, and you so just whine your whole life. Get whatever you can of other people. Hope to win the lottery. Hope someone hurts you so you can sue them. You're entitled to something. You're not. You're not. Our culture is bleak. We'll sit around a lot thinking about death or dying. Well, if I just committed suicide, that would teach them. Yeah, that's what a lot of like hardcore and grunge rock is based on. And it's sad today because God still blesses people. God even blesses people with life and pregnancy. And instead of rejoicing, we see it as a punishment. We try and kill it. At some point, we have to begin to clean up our lives. We must decide if we will truly live and follow God no matter what we have been in our past. We must get over it, whatever it is. We are on a mission. Each generation, we get one shot. That's it. Some people say Christianity is on the decline in this world. It's actually not. It's growing in other countries. It may be on the decline in America. And if that's true, it's because we haven't been living the mission God has placed us upon. We need to be different. You see, we get one shot, and our one shot should not be live, complain, soak the government, and die. It should be live, be born, live, be born again, and make a difference, and raise kids who live and love God and are born again and make a difference, because the clock is ticking. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You and I, one shot. We don't have time to sit around as a victim, complaining, getting drunk, sleeping around, blowing our money, wasting God's time. Last week you saw Jacob, when he starts to man up, takes all of the crap idols that he has and he buries them. He buries them, he gets rid of them and starts to move on. It is time for you and I to do that and take our shot. We have been called to be a blessing to this world. And it's not easy. It's, it's hard. And your kids may not like it. You know, your, your neighbors may think you're a little crazy. CNN or MSNBC may show up and just try and ridicule you. The rest of the world may stand around waiting for a handout while you work your butt off. That could be true, but you are not working for them. You are working for Jesus Christ, Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who you are working for. And if your family life growing up stinks, great! It is biblical! It is! But your life isn't based on them. It's based on your Father in heaven who sent His Son who came to earth as a man who lived and died and rose from the dead for you. You belong to a different dad. In 1 Peter 1.17-19, he says, Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You were saved from your empty way of life. You were saved from your empty way of life. So stop living an empty way of life. It's time to make a change. And Genesis, to emphasize this, what it does is we'll now show you that Jacob's dad dies. Isaac's 
story is going to end. But it will live on through his son and his son's sons, all the way to you and me. Verse 27, Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Finally, Jacob is a patriarch. He shows up back at home again. Now, the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. See, we all die. We all die. So what are we going to do with our life now? We need to live. We need to live on God's mission. We do not need to be old people when we sit around and go, oh, follow God now. We need to do it now. Someday you may bury your parents. And you know what happens? Your life will keep moving forward. Maybe you have parents and they're just terrible and you have to be the adult. Well, fine. Do that and start to live forward. Jacob grows up and as soon as he does, the story transitions to his sons, but not too quickly for you to realize what is going on in his life. Everything starts falling apart, and yet he doesn't lose heart. For some reason, we have gotten this idea that when things are hard in our life, God is opposed to us, which could be true, but not always necessarily true. Sometimes God wants us to work for something. He puts it in there so we push through it. Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean everything falls into place. I mean, as I keep saying today, many times things get more difficult. And as your life changes, so will the lives around you change. Some for better, some for worse. Some people may actually act worse in your life to try and get you to act worse. But some people will actually change and grow. And when we focus on ourselves and what you know, we're doing and how am I doing this, or how many, rather than focusing on God, we'll start to get really depressed. When we could even do great things for God and still see ourselves as a failure. John Quincy Adams, President, Secretary of State, Congressman, Ambassador, says this, I have done nothing. I have no ability to do anything that will live in the memory of mankind. My life has been spent in vain and idle aspirations and in ceaseless rejected prayers that something should be the result of my existence beneficial to my own species. President, Secretary of State, Congressman, Ambassador. You ever seen the movie Amistad? That's based around this guy right here. And yet because he's focusing on his life and who he is, he misses the whole greater picture of what God is doing. Our lives are not about us. They are about him. And when things are hard, we're supposed to grow because hard times have their role in our life. I told you this before. A test is an experience where our true commitments and our true values and our true beliefs are going to be revealed. Testing in the Old Testament is always interesting because it's only used in reference to the people of God. It is never used in reference to heathen nations, so it's only applied to people of faith. And so testing is reserved for those in relationship with God. And even though it's hard, it is an act of love. James, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Sometimes things come back up because they're our own poor decisions. And sometimes God brings them, but everything is always sifted through his hands, and he allows them. For too long, Christianity has taught, well, goodness equals prosperity and blessing and wickedness equals suffering. That's not Christianity. That's, that's Santa Claus. That's, a, that's our cultural view of what Christmas is supposed to be. It's not what Christianity is. We generally associate well-being with the presence of God, and, and it is. But we also assume suffering means somebody did something wrong, and that's not always true. Again, this is why there's no books in the Christian bookstore titled, Where is God When It Feels Good? Because nobody asks, Right? It's true. I believe pain was not part of God's original creation. I believe he's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes, and yet now he still uses that pain to try and speak to us. He allows things that we have done in our past to come back up so we grow and learn to reconcile. It doesn't mean he is absent. It means he is still working in our lives because he loves us. 
A recent survey asked thousands of people what the number one factor that contributed to your spiritual growth was. Number one answer, pain. Number one answer. It's true. When things are good, we are tempted to think that we are completely in control of our lives and, and that when things come back up and bite us, we realize we're not actually running the show after, after all because if we were, we would take away all the consequences. In pain, we get clear that we are not God. And I'm sure in the back of Jacob's mind, he questioned, seriously, God, what? I commit everything to you? I start to lead my family and then my wife dies and my son sleeps with my concubine and my dad dies? Really? It was better when I wasn't following you. But truthfully, it wasn't better when he wasn't following He was messing up everybody's life around him, and he knows it. I love what the church father Augustine says. um, I'm not saying Augustine didn't have his hang-ups. You know, I I dig him, but he did a lot of of hang-ups. One of the most profound things he talked about was submitting to and following God. And one of the greatest things about this he spoke about was a well-ordered heart. In his book, City of God, he talks about this, what a well-ordered heart is like. Augustine said, a well-ordered heart enables us to love the right thing to the right degree and the right way with the right kind of love. That includes our good times and our perceived bad times, when things go well and when they don't, all those things. He says that the result of the fall is that we have disordered affections. We are loving the wrong things. As an example, beauty is God's handiwork. Beauty is good. But when we worship supermodels and ignore people who are plain, we do not love beauty rightly. He says this, when a miser prefers gold to justice, it's through no fault of the gold. For for although it is good, it can be loved with an evil as well as a good love. Money is good. It depends on how you use it and if you love it more than everybody else. And just like nature, nature is good, but you can worship nature, and then that's bad. He says, it seems to me that a brief but true definition of love is this. It is a well-ordered love. And I think Jacob began to understand that by the end of his life. You get to the end of this narrative arc by him, and this starts to come into play. And he still has a few more trials, which you'll see in in a few weeks. But all this stuff starts coming back up. And a well-ordered heart, loving the correct thing, and understand who God was in his life, enabled him to get through those. See, trusting God to be who he revealed himself to be, that's what takes us through those times. I think Jacob finally started to live with a little bit of wisdom. I think wisdom comes to those who bow their heads and ask for it in humble prayer when everything falls apart. And James, when James talks about all the trials and suffering in James 1, 2 through 4, the next verse, verse 5, James puts these all together and he puts this on the end of it. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. You're going through trials. and I saying, well, well what's, God, give me wisdom. You gave me this life. Now you show me how to live it. That's what needs to happen. In the midst of our struggles today, our first reaction is usually, God, why? Why is this happening? We turn everywhere but Jesus. And it's not a sin to seek advice or talk to a counselor, but if the scriptures make you wise, and if God gives understanding, then don't you think we should be seeking and asking him first in all things? Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you? Yes, exactly. The bottom line is that God allows some very difficult things in our lives to grow us to his purposes. And it really seems these come more into play after we surrender our lives to Jesus. Why is that? Because God loves us. Because God loves us. And he wants to grow us in the people he intends for us to be. I think it is an extension of grace to us. He allows it and doesn't leave us, but walks through it with us and makes things right again. And I think by you and I understanding and looking at Jacob's life and where he ended up at, I think you and I, by loving Jesus with a well-ordered love, then all of a sudden pain and loss both come into proper perspective. And we begin to finally understand it better. And this is the point of Jesus. Jesus comes and he puts all things back together again. And I don't know maybe what what your pain is or your loss or what's going on in your life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. I don't know what it is. 
But the scriptures in this promise that that is not the end of it. Jesus is the end of all things. It is for his glory and our good that these things come into our lives. And so we trust him with all that we are. And we walk the road he calls us to walk because he is trustworthy. This is one of the reasons why we talk about communion every single week. Because communion is that place where you take that cracker, which represents his body, and you break it like his body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because he is reconciling all things, putting all things together again. I mean, when Jesus lived, his life wasn't easy. He was ridiculed and mocked, but the Father walked with him through all things. And when he dies and rises from the dead, he walks with us and extends us grace and takes us through all things. He doesn't take away all the consequences of our actions because he intends for us to grow. And so we trust him in all things, no matter where you are and what you've been through, what's going on in your life. You trust him because he is trustworthy. The band's going to come up. They'll do a couple songs. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. Uh, There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe you are are going through something. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's emotionally or physically. Something's going on. And you really just need some prayer for something. They would love to pray with you about that. They'd love to talk to you and maybe set you on a plan or, or something to help you understand what God is maybe doing in your life and what he intends for you in the future. Because God has a future and God has a hope for all of us. I mean, he is that good. They're offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us, giving is simply part of our worship. So you have that opportunity every single week. And there's some food in the back. And we put the food there, like I say, every week to help you guys to connect to each other. To connect, not to just stuff your face, but to, you can do that too. But to connect. Because part of the reason God leaves us in community with each other is so in hard times, we can walk through those hard times with each other. I, I have had people help me. I have helped other people who have been in really hard situations. I mean, where, where it's like, I, I call them once a day. How's it going? Terrible. Okay, what do I need to do? Nothing. Just pray. Okay, I'm there. I'm doing that. Boom. You know, just, so you start walking with them through those things because that's why God puts us in community with each other. But above all of that, you cannot forget that God is trustworthy and God is good and God is true. And this is the time in our shot, so we get over it. We trust him and we move forward and live the life he calls us to live. It is that important. If it wasn't that important, he wouldn't leave us here. But it is that important, so he does. It's about his glory, our good, and he brings much joy in the midst of all of it. So trust him with your life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as your people would understand what it means that you love us, that that love doesn't always take away the consequences of our actions, but that love sees us through them. And many times that love even brings us tough things in our lives so that we grow to the people you intend for us to be. Father, I ask that we would be a people who stand amazed in your presence. Not just because of the great love that you show us, but because also of the things that you allow us to go through in our lives. That your great love even extends into those things. Father, I ask that you would teach us to trust you in that unfailing grace and unfailing love that we would understand that we are yours forever. And though we run from you, you chase us down like a good dad and bring us home. So today, take our hearts and renew us and remake us. Have us understand that nothing that we're going through is bigger than you. 
are bigger than your hands, are bigger than what you can handle. And have us surrender it all into your hands so that our lives not only worship you, but we can bring that blessing that you call us to to those around us as well. And that you would be greatly glorified and magnified by how your people trust you and worship you in all things. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.